Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. And we're going to uh, continue our study in the life of David, the pursuit after God's heart. And uh, we're going to look at this story that I think, if there's probably one story in the Bible that everybody has kind of heard, and the 90% of us who grew up sort of in American culture, it's a story of David and Goliath. It is a story that is uh, filled with drama. It is filled with underdog stories of somebody who's a little boy conquering this giant. But in reality, this story is much more than that. Uh, It's a story of faith, and it's a story about the ultimate fighter of all our battles, and that's God himself. And so we're going to be looking at this story. So if you follow along with me, we're going to be looking at the first few verses, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then we're going to go right into the text. Um, Verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered their forces of war and assembled at Sokah in Judah, and they pitched their tent at Ephes Damin between Sokah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. And a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 500 shekels on his legs. He wore bronze greaves and bronze uh, javelin and was slung on his back. His sphere shaft was the reaver's wad and iron pointed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight the other on hearing this, the Philistine words, uh, words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Let's pray. Father, uh, we all sort of grew up maybe in Sunday school who went to church with the story. And even if we didn't, we all have heard in some way the story of this underdog named David who conquered this huge giant named Goliath. But in this story is a reminder of the people of God and the ultimate Savior, you, who fights our battles. And yet so often we live in a world where we only see our battles from our perspective. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to see uh, this story, this narrative from your perspective and how the people of God run in fear and yet at the same time you come to conquer. Help our faith to be dependent on you and not upon ourselves. For, Father, this this story reminds us that that we are all weak, we are all terrified, we're all fearful, and that we need something other than that to conquer our fears, and that's you. So we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. What are your greatest fears? Now, you think about this question, I think all of us, if we're to ask, uh, what are you scared of? What are you terrified of? Well, the extreme form of fear is what we call a phobia. 
phobia is the fear of something to a little bit to, to its ex extreme. And there are a lot of different phobias. Uh, if you just Google the word phobia, you could actually see a list of all these weird terms that none of us really know, but they describe a particular fear. For example, uh, there's a tiki phobia, which many of us have, which is the fear of failure. Uh, there's carophobia, which is the fear of clowns. Now, some of us have grown up, you've watched these movies in which these clowns are terrifying, and we still have afraid of, uh, fearful of them. How about this, anutophobia, which is the fear of staying single. Uh, for others of us, uh, we have novercophobia, which is the fear of mother-in-laws. Now, whatever your fears may be, we all have these fears, and, and some of us, our, our fears can be de debilitating. Uh, in this particular website, they had a list of uh, top uh, uh, 10 fears, and the top five fears are, are fears that I think many of us uh, can identify with. Uh, the first fear was the fear of spiders. I think if I were to ask, how many of you are scared of, fear of spiders, many of our hands would go up. Or the second fear is the fear of snakes. Or the third fear is the fear of heights. The fourth fear was the fear of open and crowded spaces. And lastly, the top five fear was the fear of dogs. Now, a lot of these fears come out of maybe an incidence in our past where we had to deal with some of these things and maybe we went through some trauma as a result. But here's the thing about fear. If fear takes a hold of our lives, they can often paralyze us, immobilize us. Unless we learn to deal and, and conquer these fears, these fears can oftentimes even destroy and debilitate our lives. This morning, uh, I want us to kind of look at a story of fear. It's a story of, of a battle that we see here uh, between the Philistines as well as the nation of Israel. Now, I'm going to show you a map here. Uh, in this particular map is uh, Israel. Uh, it's the time of, of uh, King Saul and David. If you notice the, all the orange, that's the nation of Israel. Uh, and so they had uh, conquered all these lands. And around the, the nation were, were enemies. So we have the Moabites, we have the Ammonites, we have the Phoenicians, the Canaanites. But on the, sort of on the, on the bottom, uh, on the left-hand side, near the coastal plain, are the Philistines. Now, uh, Philistines were interesting because many of them, uh, they came from the island of Crete. Uh, they settled. In, in that area, and they were sort of a warrior group of people. By the way, they had the best property. They had a beachfront uh, beach property, while the Israelites all had sort of uh, kind of the hilly property. And so what would happen is oftentimes uh, these nations go, would go into battle. And so they would meet at two particular places, and there was a valley in between them. And so in this particular story, we see that the Philistine army had gathered, and they were on one side of the hill. On the other side was the nation of Israel. And so they were kind of looking down, and sort of in between them was this valley we call the Valley of Elah. And this is where the great battle is going to take place. Now, a lot of times in ancient warfare, rather than just allowing both... Um, every soldier just to run into each other and kill each other. We see a lot of those images on, on television. The way some of the battles would be fought was rather than both armies just clashing into each other is that the armies would choose one warrior. And this would alleviate some of the bloodshed, unnecessary bloodshed. And so the Philistines had this guy named Goliath. 
Now, we know from the story that Goliath was a huge guy. Some people, uh, you know, we have here in the NIV nine feet tall. We really don't know how tall he was, but uh, definitely uh, between seven to nine feet. This guy was huge. And so he comes down, and he he has this particular army, um, armor on, some people estimate weighing 125 pounds. He had armor everywhere in his body, on his legs, on his, uh, uh, on his front, on his head. He had a bronze javelin. Uh, he had a sphere with the iron point that weighed at least 15 pounds. This guy was humongous. He was a giant. And so he basically comes, and he's going to represent the Philistines. And, and it's interesting what he says. He says, I challenge you guys, and here's what we're going to do. If I win, we get to kill all of you. If you win, you get to kill all of us or you get to conquer us. And so, you know, for the Philistines, it's a pretty easy battle because Goliath was known to be this warrior. Now, it's interesting as uh, Goliath comes and he is this man, he's not only just defiling the, uh, the nation, he's actually defiling God. And we see this a little bit later on. He's actually putting down their God and elevating his own. And so we see that in many ways, the story of David and Goliath is a story of, of, of this man who sort of kind of represents uh, all the enemies of God. And in, in some ways, uh, it, one of the things that, that we can sort of apply is that Goliath in some ways could sort of symbolize all the enemies that, that, that we face in our lives, the things that we have to conquer. And one of the things that we have to conquer in our lives is, is fear, and, and one of the things that we see here in this particular passage in verse 11, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all his Israelites were dismayed and fearful and, and terrified. Well, the first thing that we want to look at in the story is this, that our fears can look intimidating and insurmountable. If you look at the story, you look at Goliath, he sort of symbolizes all the opposition of, of the people of God. And when you look at the opposition, you get scared. Now, if I were to ask you the question again, what are you scared of? What are you fearful of? I think every single one of us in this room have fears. I remember when I was a little boy, I I had this tremendous fear of darkness. And and I think many of us uh, have kind of grown up with that. And I always have to leave a certain light on because I was always scared. And I don't know why I was scared, but I was. Because maybe in the back of my mind, I thought maybe something would grab me or something would kill me. And so I was fearful of that. And if you were to sort of think about your fears, some of our fears are not really rational. They're just fears. And and in this particular story, we see Goliath kind of representing that. He is this big, insurmountable fear. Well, I think one of the things about fear is that when you sort of allow fear to dominate your life, it can grow into this phobia. And when you allow it to grow into a phobia, it could start paralyzing your life. And the other thing about fear is this, that oftentimes when fear becomes such a big dominant part of our lives, it could actually influence our sense of freedom and even our faith. There was an interesting study done in 1973. A guy named Roger Hart did a study with 80 children in Vermont, and he, uh, 86 children from the ages of 3 to 12. And in this particular study, he followed the kids around throughout the day, documenting everywhere these children went by themselves. He then took the information and made physical maps and measured the distance between each child was allowed to go by themselves and with the average distance uh, of every group. He discovered that each child had remarkable freedom. 
11, uh, even four or five-year-olds traveled unsupervised throughout their neighborhoods. And by the time they were 10, most of the kids had run of the whole entire town. And the kids' parents weren't even worried. Then in 2014, he repeated the study. And what he found was fascinating. He went back to the same town to document the children of the children that had originally been tracked in the 1970s. And when he asked the new generation of kids to show him how they played alone, what he, what he found was kind of uh, surprising. He said this, they just didn't go very far. They just walked around their property. In other words, huge circle of freedom on the map had grown very tiny. Then he added this, there is no free range outdoors. Even the, uh, the kids are older. Parents now say, I need to know where my children are at all times. But what's odd about all this is this, that this town is not more, any more dangerous than it was ever before. The crime rate uh, really hadn't changed. There was literally no crime today than there was 40 years ago. So why this invisible leash between the parent and the child? Why did it tighten so much? And he made this astute observation. He said this, the reason that these kids weren't given the freedom was because of fear. The conclusion of the study said this, that the fear of the world outside our narrow doors narrows the circle of our lives. And I think about this, that fear has a way of pulling us in and sort of creating this imaginary boundary around us, saying that, that we can't do this or we can't do that. And imagine this in the story, is that the nation of Israel, who had already won all these battles before, are now fearful because they see this giant as being insurmountable. What changed between chapter 15, when Saul was victorious, when God said, kill all the uh, 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 Ammonites? What changed between that and now? And I think what changed was chapter 16. What changed was that Saul, the spirit of God that was in him, departed. In other words, all Saul had was himself. He had his army, but his army couldn't conquer, in his mind, the nation of the Philistines. And so he, he sort of was driven by fear. And so what allowed him to succeed in chapter 15, in his uh, obedience to God, now he was cowered in fear. I think this kind of reminds us this. That I think fear is one of those things that can easily imprison us. The Bible doesn't say we shouldn't be fearful of anything. There is one person that the Bible tells us to fear, and that's God himself. In the Bible, there are over 300 times recorded in reference to fearing God. And sometimes what we do is we make the mistake when we downplay that. You see, the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom, the Bible says. That when we fear God, here's what happens. Every fear disappears or, or gets diminished. I like what Oswald Chambers says in his book, The Highest Good. He says, the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Think about that. When you fear God, you fear nothing else. But when, if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And I think in, in Saul's story here, we're reminded that when the Spirit of God departed, that all Saul had was himself. Now, the irony of this battle is this, that Goliath was head and, and shoulders above everybody. He was the tallest of his group. Guess who was the tallest of the nation of Israel? We saw this in chapter 13. It was Saul. 
Saul was described as one who was head and shoulders above everybody. The one who should have been leading this battle was Saul. And yet Saul was coward in his fear. And I think for a lot of us, as Christians, we sort of kind of fall into the same trap. That we lose sight of God's sovereignty, we lose God's sight of God's perspective, and, and, and as a result, every fear becomes gigantic. When you fear God, you have confidence. When you fear God, you have refuge. That's what Proverbs 14 says, 14:26. In the fear of God, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life that one may avoid the snares of death. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 reminds us this. Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man. You know, when the Bible says fear God, it's not just a matter of just cowering and in, 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 in just kind of uh, this idea of fear where you're just afraid. The idea of fear of God is, is, goes beyond that. It's the idea of reverence, but holiness that God is the one who is ultimately in control. And I think for a lot of us, our fears are a reminder to become more dependent on who God is rather than to be dependent on who we are. There are times in our life where all of us at some point are going to face circumstances that are, are insurmountable. And I think that's a good thing. Because it reminds us that no matter how gifted or how talented or how strong we may think we are, that there's always going to be challenges that's bigger than us. There's always going to be fear that's going to be intimidating. But here's the second point of the story. The means by which God chooses to conquer fear is from the most unlikely source. And this source is faith. You know, in this particular story we see in verse 12, enters this guy named David. Now, we know from chapter 16, David is anointed uh, as a boy. He is the sort of the runt of the litter. Nobody expected David to be the next king. And even his father didn't expect David to be the next king. So David's job really was to do two things. He was a court musician by day, and then he was also uh, his, a family shepherd. And so he would take care of the sheep. Pretty mild uh, occupation, you know, pretty easy, right? Court musician as well as a shepherd. And in verse 12, it, it begins the story of David. Now, David was a son of an Ephraimite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Uh, Jesse had eight sons, at, um, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to war. In other words, we see in this story that the three sons, and, and, and they're, they're going to list Eliab, uh, Amidab, and Shammah, David was the youngest. The oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's sheep in Bethlehem. So in other words, all David did was sort of, he was an errand boy. Okay. He would go back and forth helping his dad and, uh, and, and helping his brothers when they needed it. So in verse 16, it tells us the setting now. The war is about to happen. They've been now sort of in the stalemate for 40 days. 40 days the Philistines came forward every morning, evening, looking uh, and took a stand. In other words, they're just crying out for, hey, let's, let's get into this battle. The Philistines must have been so weary and tired because all they want to do is they want to conquer the Israelites. They knew that if they went through the valley, they couldn't go up the hill because then they had a disadvantage. So all they could do was wait. So for 40 days, they waited. And then in verse 17, uh, while they were waiting, brothers were hungry. 40 days, some of them probably didn't eat that much. 
So Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of, of roasted grain and 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. Uh, take along these 10 uh, cheeses to the commander of their units. See how your brothers are and bring them some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So David's job was simply this. He was an errand boy, went to the grocery, got some bread, got some cheese, and he ran over to help feed the troops. Now, the story gets even more interesting. Early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up, and set out, and Jesse as directed. And when he reached out to the camp, he was about to go out to battle position. Uh, Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of the supplies, ran to the battle line, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion up from Gath, stepped out of the lines and shouted his usual defiance, send me one of your best and I will fight them. And when David heard him, when the Israelites saw this man, they all ran again. Look at this in verse 24. They all ran in great fear. Again, this fear comes up in the nation of Israel. Now it's interesting the way David responds. Um, verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills his Philistines and removes this disgrace from Israel? Uh, who is this guy that would defile the armies of the living God? Here's the, the point that David's making. By the way, in verse 25, we see that the reward for killing Goliath was three things. One, that person would be wealthy. Second, he would get uh, Saul's daughter. Third, he would be free from taxes. If, if you think about it from an economic perspective, anybody who would conquer Goliath would get all this. But we all know the story, right? Where nobody knew that, that nobody thought that they could defeat, defeat Goliath. But the story here of David is, that's interesting is David wasn't concerned about those things. He wasn't out to make a name for himself. He wasn't out there to, to, um, to go out and be as wealthy as he could. David's concern was God's name. David was more concerned about God's name and fame than he was about himself. And basically his challenge was this, who is this guy that would defile God? See, David's heart had already pursued, was pursuing the things of God. And he was more concerned about God's honor than his own. And I think the way we conquer fear is to remember that. That often the faith in trusting in God is, is bigger. Our faith in God is bigger than any of the fears that we have face. One of the things I love about the story of David, it reminds us that God doesn't choose the strong things of this world. God often chooses the weak. And I think David's story here amplifies that. That throughout the Bible, the person that God chooses are not always the ones that, that you would think should be chosen. We go back into, uh, into Gideon. Gideon was a man who eventually led the nation of Israel against the Midianites in the book of Judges. But if you notice Gideon, one of the things about Gideon's life was he was a coward. From the very beginning, he would hide behind the wine press. He would actually hide in a little a cave, a tavern, so nobody would find him. But God said to Gideon, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. You know, one of the things about faith is, is that God sees us differently than when we see ourselves. Oftentimes, our fears can sort of become so overwhelming that the fears become this, like Goliath, this giant, 
undefeatable thing. But the lesson of scripture is this, that our faith, our weakness, our lack of ability produces dependence and produces dependence then produce faith. I think one of the great stories, the themes, is that God takes our limitations, our liabilities, and uses it for his greater good. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, what kind of people does God choose? The God choose the smartest of the world, the, the most uh, beautiful, the most wealthy. It says this in verse 26. Brothers, think of what, when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. One of the lessons I've always learned as a, as a, a Christian growing up was that I always felt like my abilities, the better, the more gifted I am, the more God could use me. You know, sometimes we, we sort of get the message, you know, when, oh man, you have to be a great athlete, or you have to be a great singer, or you have to be a great something, and then you could be used by God. But if you look at scripture, God always does the opposite. God doesn't choose always the greatest things of this world. He often chooses the weakest. And we're reminded over and over again that really God is the one and this, the story here is really about God. It's not a story about David or Goliath. It's a story about God's conquering. But God chooses a man after his own heart to lead the battle. So what, what's your great fear? Uh, you know, one of my fears growing up uh, as a little boy was I, I was afraid of darkness, but I was also afraid of public speaking. I remember as a, as a kid, uh, the thing that I would hate most would to get in front of people to give a book report. I would be like shaking like crazy. I remember one time in English class, I was like ninth or 10th grade, and I had to give a report. And this is literally uh, how I looked as I got onto the podium and to give my report as I was reading and I had my uh, paper tightly to my face. I was just like, like this constantly. And I was sweating profusely. I walked out of there, it looked like I had a sh full shower. I was so drenched in my own sweat because I was so nervous. And I remember the time that God had called me into ministry. I felt like Moses. I was so scared. I said, God, how am I going to speak in front of people? How am I going to even preach the, the, the message to junior high school, high school kids? I was like, there's no way, God, I could do this. I remember one time I was preaching a sermon when I was like, uh, was beginning youth ministry. And I remember I was so nervous. And, and, and one of the things about your inability is that it allows you to trust in God's ability. And I just started praying, God, if you really called me to do this, then you're going to have to supply. And the great lesson of faith is this, that our lack of ability is a source for God's ability to, to continually uh, strengthen. And I want to encourage you. Sometimes our faith, what our, I mean, sometimes our fear is what drives us to greater faith. And so whether it's a Goliath, whether it's, darkness, whether it's failure, whatever it is, and, and you start thinking, what's the worst case that can happen? You know, for a lot of us, our fears are tied into sort of life and death, right? That if we do this, that, that our, whole, our whole life is going to be gone. But here in this story, we're reminded that God doesn't choose the strong things of this world. Now, the story gets even better. David, in verse 26, asked the men standing by, what will be done for this man? And they repeated to him what they had been saying. 
This will be done for who kills uh, this Goliath in verse 28. When, now, here's the funniest thing about Eliab. Eliab is the oldest. He's David's uh, oldest brother. You know what Eliab is thinking? David is a nuisance. Have you ever had a younger brother like that? Or a sister who's just like annoying. Like they're asking all the stupid questions. And so Eliab really gets upset at David. David's oldest brother heard him speaking with the men. And he burned with anger at him and said, why have you come here? Here's the accusation. With whom did you, uh, did you leave these few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are. How wicked your heart is. You have come down to only watch the battle. Isn't it funny how in this story that David is misrepresented and misunderstood? You know, I think David and many of us, you know, we sort of get put in that position. And David says this. I like how this little brother responds. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? He then turned around, uh, turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him before. And David said, uh, said, was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. So now Saul says, what do you need, young boy? What do you want? And basically, uh, he goes, let me go into battle. That's, that's pretty courageous, right, that David would do. But you see, I, the motivation for David, again, was not because he wanted these other things. Again, it goes back to the heart of God, that he wanted to pursue God. His heart was inclined to that. He was a man after God's own heart. And then in verse 33, Saul said, you are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You're only a boy, and he is a a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep with the lion. And it begins basically what David is doing is giving his resume. He says, you know what? I, I, I tended my dad's sheep, and there were a bunch of lions and bears I came, and I was able to fend them off with my slingshot. And then he says this in verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. And I love what he says here. Because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistines. You know what's interesting about this in this story? David's understanding of God's sovereignty and God's power. David recognized that he was unable by himself to do this. It wasn't because of his great ability to aim his slingshot. It was his realization that ultimately it's God who fights our battles. It is God who we need to place our faith in. And so in this story here, David then goes in, and and by the way, Saul tries to give him his armor, and David says, no, no, I don't even need your armor. I can't, I'm not even unworthy. By the way, it's too heavy. And so he says, all I need is uh, these five stones. So he goes off to the riverbed, finds five stones, and he takes them with me. And he stands before this Goliath, this giant. And he says, I volunteer. And Goliath looks at David and says, what are you doing? Are you sending me uh, sticks to a dog? Are you giving me just what you have left over? (laughs) And Goliath is prideful, arrogant. He says, you know. This guy, I'm going, to make, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a sport of him. I'm going to destroy him. You're going to see what I'm going to do to this guy. But I love what he says in verse 45. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of our Lord Almighty. 
the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut you off, your head off. Today I will give your carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those who gather here will know that it is not by the sword or by the spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give all of you into our hands. David's declaration was not that he was brave. His declaration was not that he was courageous. It was not even a declaration that he was the underdog. The declaration that he's making is this. I stand before you, the God of all of Israel. He is the one who's going to fight this battle. And when I look at the story, I'm reminded that the more we place our faith in ourselves, the more fearful our lives become. But the more we place our faith in the God who redeems all of men, who fights our battles. And, and throughout the Bible, that's the message that we hear, right, over and over again. Uh, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, one of my favorite verses, Zechariah is a prophet. He goes to Zerubbabel after they come back from exile. And he says to this new king, Zerubbabel, he says, chapter 4, verse 6, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. The great lesson throughout the Bible is that God is the one who fights. And if you look at the story of Jesus, that's it, the story, isn't it? In many ways, the story of David and Goliath is, is that all of us are like the nation of Israel, cowering in fear, because we see from a human perspective insurmountable odds. But from God's perspective, he brings down somebody who places, who shows us what true faith looks like. So Jesus, in many ways reminds us, as David reminds us, what Jesus ultimately does. That he can redeem us and save us and transform us. And so what, what Saul was lacking was the spirit of God because that had departed. What David had was the spirit of God. And it is the spirit of God that allows us to conquer whatever fear that we have. It doesn't mean your fears will all disappear. When I was like a little kid, afraid to speak, as God sort of empowered that and, 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 and put words in my mouth and I was able to study and eventually became a youth pastor, became a pastor, became a planter and, and all that. I look at my own life and, and, and constantly at, at different points that I just had to trust that God was the one orchestrating. And sometimes what, what fear reminds us is that we have to relinquish the things that we have confidence in. One of my favorite poems goes something like this. It's called Treasure. One by one, God took them from me, all the things I valued most. Until I was left empty-handed, all my glittering toy was lost. And I walked earth's highway, grieving in my rags and poverty, till I heard his voice saying, lift up your empty hands to me. And when I lifted up my empty hands, he filled them with the store of his own transcendent riches until they can contain no more. And at last I comprehended my mind, stupid and dull, that God could not pour his riches into hands that were already full. You know, we live in a world in which there's a lot of things that fill our hands. A lot of things that we place our confidence in. Whether it be technology, whether it be our family, whether it's even church. And one of the things that the Bible reminds us, and, and David reminds us, is that you just have to relinquish everything. 
that God could use all himself to fight his battles. And when you remember that, as your faith begins to grow, that faith operates in the realm of the impossible because God is the God of impossibilities. So we talk about fear. You know why I think a lot of us are fearful? If you think about sort of the logical conclusion of death, what do we fear the most? Well, if you think about it, uh, there was an interview done with Larry King many years ago. He was 81 years old. He was fixated on dying. He just did not want to die. You know, he was scared. And there was an, another story about a woman named Amanda Peet, and she was on Stephen Colbert's show. And, and she was having this interesting conversation. And Stephen Colbert says, you got a lovely life. What do you know about midlife crisis? And she goes, uh, she goes, she goes, she goes quite something. And, and then she, he, he continues, you don't, like a, you don't look like a person with personal crisis to me. What is your crisis? She said, I fear death. Okay. Uh, she goes, and he just sort of makes it like, oh, keep it light. We all die. Uh, let's just keep it light. And then she says, okay, that's where I need help. You're Catholic, right? I'm Jewish. And then she says, what do you believe? He goes, I need to know what to believe in. Like, what happens when you die? Yes, I don't want to be that bag of dust. I don't really know. I don't know what happens. I just kind of want to know, where is all that? And I think about this fear of death is really the, the, the issue that all of us fear. And that's why I think Saul was not willing to go into battle. Because Saul knew that if he died, he, he, the favor of God was uh, not there. But David realized the reason that he didn't need to fear death was because God can conquer death. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but Christ has indeed raised from the dead the first fruit of all who have fallen in sea. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all is made alive. The answer to fear is ultimately faith in Jesus. And the more you grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and the more you understand that God is the one who allows you to conquer the things that, that you run away from. And so whatever your issues might be, whatever your Goliaths might be, I just want to encourage you that God gives us the means, not through your, just your own sense of confidence. You, you can brainwash yourself saying, I'm not going to be scared of this, I'm not going to scared of that. But really the way you conquer the fear is by placing your faith in a God who's greater than all your faith.